This message comes from Capital One. Your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services backed by the strength of a top 10 commercial bank. Visit CapitalOne.com slash commercial. Member FDIC. The Library of Congress is famous for its collection of American cultural treasures. More than 10 million items, including books, manuscripts, and nearly 4 million pieces of audio live there. And each year, the National Recording Registry at the Library of Congress chooses just 25 pieces of audio to showcase the rich heritage of America's recorded sound. Think of it like an audio hall of fame. Those being conducted this year have just been announced, and that marks our return of the series, The Sounds of America. Last year, that allowed us to spotlight inductees like Ricky Martin. A real star can transform just a demo into a masterpiece. An album from the band Tribe Called Quest. They want to do this. How are we going to do it with the gear that we have? But it was sort of like trying to run the Indy 500 on a tricycle. And the song Reach Out, I'll Be There, and a memorable conversation with Duke Fakir from the Four Tops. I was driving my car. I had to just stop. I said, my God, this is a song and a half. This year's list is no less rich. We're celebrating the return of our series, The Sounds of America. It's when we get to work with the National Recording Registry and the Library of Congress to showcase some of the most important moments in American sound. To kick off the series, I sat down with Librarian of Congress Carla Hayden to talk about this year's picks and the registry. We'll bring you that conversation after the break. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We'll be back with more in just a moment. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. When you keep your stress bottled up, it can eat away at you. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to make them better. Try BetterHelp Online Therapy, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp at BetterHelp.com NPR today to get 10% off your first month. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy. Family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands. Whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit TeladocHealth.com slash What's Your Why for more information. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C Health slash What's Your Why. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Now more than ever, your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, all tailored to your short and long-term goals. Backed by the strength and stability of a top 10 commercial bank, 
Their dedicated experts work with you to build lasting success. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial. A member FDIC. This is my voice. I can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. We started the conversation by talking about the kinds of recordings that are preserved every year. One of the things that's really exciting and what I look forward to is the fact that we are uncovering and rediscovering notable recordings, and they're not always music. And the traditional, when you think of recordings, there might be a broadcast. Uh, or of a significant event, like Hank Aaron's home run record-breaking game and all of those types of things and the chance to just highlight music and sound in its format. So you never know what's going to come up. There's some perennial favorites, and we want the public to actually help us. When you think over the last 21 years, is there a piece of sound in the collection that you feel particularly connected to? I mentioned Hank Aaron's game because we had a baseball exhibit at the Library of Congress and Mr. Henry Aaron came. And to hear him talk about his mixed feelings that went with breaking a record, but then all of the racial aspect that he had to endure, death threats, all of these things that took some of the joy away. So listening to that recording and the excitement, the broadcaster is just excited. Everybody knew this at the time, but to hear him actually talk, it, it makes it even more poignant. What a marvelous moment for baseball. What a marvelous moment for Atlanta and the state of Georgia. What a marvelous moment for the country and the world. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the Deep South for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol. And it is a great moment for all of us, and particularly for Henry Aaron. Atlanta itself was Atlanta, but outside of Atlanta, you were in Georgia. So I tried to make myself understood that although I'm in Atlanta playing baseball, but don't get carried away and think that you're someplace else. And I try to make myself believe that. Remind us what goes into deciding what makes it into this collection. Well, the collection is over about 600 recordings over the last 21 years, and 25 get selected each year. There's a national recording advisory board made up of industry experts, people who are historians, all of these people give advice. And then we have public nominations now. And this past year, we had over a thousand public nominations. So a thousand members of the public said these are important Here's, pieces of here sound. sound. Oh. And the board makes recommendations with the experts that are sound historians at the Library of Congress. We have a wonderful Packard Center for Sound and uh, 
motion picture recordings, and they make their recommendations. And I get to, as librarian, combine the public, the staff, the board, and just think about, well, you have 25 this year, hopefully 25 next year, but what do we want to emphasize in one particular year? And so this year, for instance, we have quite a few recordings that feature women. And one is Queen Latifah. The ladies will kick it, the rhyme it is wicked. Those that don't know how to be pros get evicted. A woman could bear you, break you, take you. Now it's time to rhyme. Can you relate to a sister? People are seeing her on broadcast television now, very popular, and they might not realize how groundbreaking she was as a rapper. All hail the queen. Yes. <laughs> and so that was important, I think, to, to emphasize. And then, of course, Mariah Carey. With the perennial Christmas favorite, it's number one every year. All I want for Christmas is you. Right. right. And to hear her talk about being in her 20s and kind of poo-pooing a Christmas song, and now it's a classic. notice and and this was a song that jumped out to me because we lost this artist very recently what a feeling by Irene Cara Irene Cara and that took me right back to my teen years and watching her perform and sing that song this this person with this I mean this powerful voice and I just admired her so much. Talk about the significance of of her presence in this collection. Her presence, when you think about what that symbolized, and it was 1983, and it takes a lot of us back to that. It was a radio hit. You had uh, young ladies and uh, dancing around, and young men, everybody was dancing. It was just a joyful song as well, and then when you got a chance to see her and realize that what a musician she was, a performer she was, so we wanted to to honor that. So again, we have 25 recordings, um, all have been recognized for their importance to the American soundscape. We've talked about music, but we're talking about Carl Sagan, his speech about the pale blue dot, um, Wang Dang Doodle. (laughs) One of my favorites, one of my favorites. (laughs) The theme for Super Mario by Koji Kondo. What are some of the other highlights from this year's collection? Dorothy Thompson. And that's where you have a journalist who was so 
significant at the time when you think about 1939 and World War II. And she interviewed Hitler and she interviewed Sigmund Freud. And she was really notable, a, a female uh, journalist that was doing all of these things. And in this particular broadcast, she's talking about the European situation and its worsening and that war was coming. And to hear her talk about it and think about what's going on in the world today, it, it's sobering. The German government announced that anyone listening to foreign radio broadcasts would be arrested and anyone transmitting what he might hear on a foreign broadcast would be killed. I do not pretend to know what all this means, but it certainly means more than meets the eye. Any other standout picks from the 25 for you this year? Well, my background, uh, my parents were musicians, and my mom particularly loved uh, gospel music. And so the Fairfield Four. Don't you let nobody <laughs> 1947, Don't Let Nobody Turn You Around. It's a a standard, and it's a signature song, and you hear it in the civil rights movement as well. But to hear the original in this group that popularized it and made it a symbol of so much. This year's picks have just been announced, and in the weeks to come, you'll hear several special features on the show. Up first will be Carl Sagan's famous pale blue dot speech from 1994. From this distant vantage point, the Earth might not seem of any particular interest. But for us, it's different. Consider again that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was, lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on the mode of dust suspended in a sunbeam. Now, this next tune has neither been a hit, nor a landmark speech, nor a piece of historical commentary. It is the sound we all associate with the short, pudgy Italian plumber who lives in the Mushroom Kingdom. might not realize how much artistic effort 
goes into animation, video games, all of these things. And you have that wonderful collection of artistic talent to make these things the popular things that they are, a game. But a lot goes into it. And so we wanted to expand our thought about what is sound, how it relates to things that we do, like a video game. But that goes, there's a lot of thought that goes into these things. What can you tell us about the way these sounds are preserved and protected? I mentioned the David Packard Center that the Library of Congress has. It's one of the largest institutions. It's part of the Library of Congress, but it's an institution. It's its own 45 acres in Culpeper, Virginia, that has a special mission of preserving historic film and sound. And that means that the things are restored, you go to visit and you see old equipment. You know you're getting older when a VHS and a cassette tape is uh, vintage, <laughs> but they have things to play 78 records and the uh, different coils that before even sounded. All of these things are preserved in the best uh, conditions, so that means temperature control and the restoration people are, that work there are engineers that had worked in major studios, recording studios, film studios, and that are really experts. The person who restored the Zagruder film is, is there. As someone who works in audio, I think a lot about the power of this medium and the power of listening. When we think about how history is recorded, I think people often think about books um, they may think about, you know, visuals, but what is it about sound that tells perhaps a different type of story about the American experience? It tells a story. And when you think about the power of radio and for so many, the fireside chats, the communication that you are, you, you have to be still in so many ways, to listen and absorb. And also your own mind can make the pictures. And that's the best part of it. So when you have, for instance, the, the library received the archives of uh, Studs Terkel, and you hear some of the old broadcasts, and especially of the shows that they put on, and uh, The Shadow. My mom still talks about The Shadow, and they would just get so frightened. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? <laughs> the shadow knows. Blue Coal presents The Shadow, the mystery man who strikes terror in the very hearts of shopsters, lawbreakers, and criminals. Today, the Death Triangle. But that's it, it. It's one of the first things when you think about telling and communicating was story and oral history and oral storytelling and people sitting around, literally a camp, a fire, and hearing stories. And that's how things were transmitted through generations. 
I talk a lot about my introduction to radio, to audio, and it came in the form of these cassette tapes my dad had when I was growing up um, with old radio shows, The Lone Ranger, Amos and Andy. Now, as an adult, I used to listen to them when I was a kid. As an adult, I can look back and, and understand that some of those didn't, they didn't age particularly well. Rules of beauty contests. Rule one, you gotta be a woman. <laughs> Rule two, you gotta be a woman with two dollars. <laughs> oh, yeah, dusty entry fee. Yeah. Rule three, you gotta weigh less than 184 pounds and be under 38 years old. Uh, less than 184 and under 38. Yeah, that's to keep out Madam Queen and the Kingfisher's wife. Once a recording is selected for this collection, is that it? Or, or from time to time, do you review and question whether everything that's in the collection still belongs there? It's everything that's there still belongs there because what the registry is doing is selecting recordings that emphasize either an aesthetic or historical fact and hopefully will generate discussion too. So to hear the when you hear a broadcast of Pearl Harbor and what happened afterwards, you, you, you get a chance to put things in context, hopefully. This is what people at that time were hearing. This is what people were thinking about African Americans and when they heard Amos and Andy. So many people. So you think about, well, that was a stereotype that was perpetuated. Some people, that's all they knew. They didn't know any African Americans, but they heard that show. It gives you an opportunity. History gives us a chance to think about today and then hopefully the future. I mean, how, how much of your work is about not just capturing these, these moments in American history through sound, but also figuring out how to explain the context around that sound. That's what the registry gets us an opportunity to do, having an interview. Like we're talking now, we get to talk about what really went into the St. Louis Blues with Handy's Memphis Blues Band, you know, in 1922. And that was Bessie Smith and then Count Basie and all of those people were involved. And also, when you think about Imagine and John Lennon, 1971, what was going on then? And why is that still a song that touches so many people? So what makes something a classic? And what is something that is a, just a moment in time, too, that probably wouldn't be recreated? Imagine there's no heaven trying to imagine what it's like to sit in your position as the Librarian of Congress 
charged with preserving and protecting these treasures. Just this this wealth of American history. (laughs) Do you ever have moments when you sit down and really just think about what you're charged with protecting and just go, oh my gosh. (laughs) I think about it and then I know that I am surrounded with so many people who are experts in just about every field, and I learn something every day uh, working with them, that are all dedicated to trying to make as much of the material available to as many people as possible. And so that's really energizing. And you think, okay, we've got this... 54-foot petition from 1865 of black South Carolinians asking for the right to vote. Well, how are we going to digitize it? It's all glued together, all these things. And then we have this recording of uh, Take Me Home, Country Roads by John Denver, and we need to make sure that the first cut of that is preserved. Almost heaven. West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River. And then you have Dorothea Lang's Migrant Mother, the negatives for it, and making sure that people can reproduce it. So it's an exciting opportunity, and there are times when I call them I have pinch-me moments. (laughs) Is this really Frederick Douglass's handwriting? Wow. I would imagine working so closely with history um, makes you reflect from time to time on your own history, your personal history. If you could talk to your great or great-great-grandparent, what would you tell them about the job you do every day? That their stories are being told and that their stories are being told by me getting an opportunity to tell other stories that happened at the same time and that put their lives in context. I mentioned earlier that my parents were musicians. They were classically trained, but they couldn't perform in an orchestra. My dad played the violin. He ended up teaching, which a lot of classical uh, musicians classically trained black musicians had to do. They had to teach. They couldn't be in an orchestra. They couldn't do that. So to then be, to have his daughter be (laughs) the librarian that has of the largest music collection and have Paganini and just all of these people and Stradivarius violins, I think there would be some smiles. Yeah. I wonder if you would for a moment, just speak to librarians who are listening right now, who are faced in some communities with overwhelming challenges around their work, what they can provide, issues of free speech. And every librarian I've ever interviewed or spoken to, they have a rock-solid code (laughs) to which they adhere. What would you say to them right now? Well, the first thing before I'd say anything, I'd send all of them the T-shirt that we have that says 
librarians, feisty fighters for freedom. Because and the original search engines, because that's what we are. And you're right, there's this cold, and I would say that this is the time to continue to hold fast to what we believe in, and that's that everyone has a right to know. Everyone has a right to read. Everyone has a right to decide what information they want to have. And we have an obligation to present the most unbiased set of information that we can and then let let the books, we used to say, let the books battle it out on the shelves. And so hold fast. That's Carla Hayden, America's 14th Librarian of Congress. We've just heard Carla Hayden mention a few of the 25 new inductees. The earliest recording this year dates from an album made in 1908. It captures the very first mariachi recordings, and it features four musicians from Mexico and a performance for that country's president. From the mid-60s, there's Jackie DeShannon's version of What the World Needs Now, written by the late, great Burt Bacharach. And from the early 70s, a rock classic that barely needs any introduction. Up next, we revisit a favorite who made it into the registry a few years ago. Grab a banjo because you might want to play along. We'll be back with more after the break. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. REI has gear, clothing, classes, and advice for camping and glamping, biking and hiking, axing and snacksing, backpacking, and another outdoor thing that rhymes with backpacking. Visit your local REI Co-op or REI.com for the million and one ways you can opt outside. This message comes from the Kresge Foundation. Established 100 years ago, the Kresge Foundation works to expand equity and opportunity in cities across America. A century of impact, a future of opportunity. More at kresge.org. Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Before the break, we heard from Librarian of Congress, Carla Hayden. Every year, she and her team get to pick 25 recordings to be preserved for all time in the National Recording Registry. Our series, The Sounds of America, profiles some of those selections. Today, a selection from 2021, Rainbow Connection, as sung by Kermit the Frog. Kermit and his Muppet friends were created by Jim Henson. He played many of the characters, including Kermit. The Muppet movie, released in 1979, was Henson's first full-length film and the first to feature his band of the Muppets. The movie's opening song, Rainbow Connection, was composed by Paul Williams and Kenny Asher and performed by the film's star, Kermit the Frog. 
Henson passed away in 1990, but as we all know, his Muppets very much live on. Hi-ho, I am Kermit the Frog of the Muppets. I am a singer, a dancer, an actor, and an amphibian. Music is such a part of what makes the Muppets the Muppets. Moving right along in search of good times and good news With good friends you can't lose This could become a habit There's an authenticity and there's a kindness and there's a love of life in there that is Muppet. Real hitchhike bus or yellow cabbage This is Cheryl Henson and I'm the president of the Jim Henson Foundation and one of Jim and Jane Henson's five children. Being a Muppeteer, you have to really practice the technique. You really have to get it down so much that you is completely second nature. And then you have to have a good sense of humor. Muppeteers really need to be very, very fast on their feet and able to handle comedy really quickly. Of course, Frank Oz was the master at that. Frank Oz, director, used to be performer. I joined the Muppets in 1964, I was 19 years old, and I was with Jim for 35 years, being mostly the main performer. I didn't do voices for four years. I was too scared, and I performed the characters, and Jim did the voices, and then after four years, Jim forced me into the characters. Cookies! Do you think I'm pretty? Animal! It still took me about 10 years before I was comfortable with what I was doing. So it is a tremendous amount of training. I'd say kiss the first 10 years goodbye because that's just the beginning. Jim Henson was one of these incredibly creatively restless types in that whatever he was doing, he was absolutely committed to, but always looking for the next thing. My name is Brian J. Jones, and I'm the author of Jim Henson, The Biography. At the time that the Muppet movie is sort of in his head, he's at the front of The Muppet Show, which is the biggest show in the world between 1976 and 1981. For Jim, it was sort of the next natural creative progression was getting the Muppets from the small screen onto the big screen. Uh-huh. Scenery ready. Yeah. Sound is rolling. Good. Camera yeah. rolling. Already, Jimmy. Okay. Stand by. Here we go. I'm Paul Williams, and I'm a songwriter. I was always a fan of the Muppets when I was asked to be a guest on the Muppet Show. That's just an old-fashioned love song coming down at three-part harmony. It went really well. We had a good time. And then Jim asked me to work on the Muppet movie, writing the songs for the Muppet movie. Paul just somehow has the spirit of the Muppets in him. He just does. Writing songs for the Muppet characters felt like the absolute perfect job for me, but I wanted the music to be more elegant than what I thought I was going to be able to write alone. So I asked my friend Kenny Asher to come on board and supply the music, the songs that were as sophisticated musically as I thought the Muppets were and are. And the first song we were asked to write, of course, was the I Am song for Kermit the Frog, Major Star. Kermit, that's you! We knew that we wanted a song for the Muppet movie that set up this impossible journey that took a frog from the swamp all the way to Hollywood. Did you say Hollywood? Read my lips. Hollywood. 
You know, Hollywood, the Dream Factory, the Magic Store. Hey, don't you ever go to the movies? Kenny and I wanted to write a song that had the same kind of impact of When You Wish Upon a Star from Pinocchio. When you wish upon a star Makes no difference who you are Anything your heart desires will come if that doesn't open your heart, there's something wrong with you, I think. So that's what we wanted to do for Kermit. And I asked when we find Kermit at the beginning of the film, where is he? What is he doing? He said, he's, uh, well, he's in the swamp. I said, okay. He thought a moment and he said, he's, he's playing the banjo. <laughs> totally sensible, of course. Kermit is playing the banjo. There's something very Americana about Kermit. I didn't choose the banjo. The banjo chose me. I started playing banjo when I was just a, a tadpole. It took a while to learn that, but, but once I dropped my tail and got little fingers, it came naturally. I croak out a tune every now and again when I uh, am in the mood. I think I sound, you know, pretty good for a frog. It gave us a setting and it gave us the instrument that he was playing with, which kind of gives you the beginnings of a definition of an area you kind of want to go. So what does he have to deal with? He has water, he has light, he has refracted light, he has rainbows. Why are there so many songs about rainbows? And what's on the other side? Rainbows are visions, but only illusions. And rainbows have nothing to hide. But, you know, the moment I heard Rainbow Connection, I knew that it was special. And I knew that it had a message. And you don't have to be a frog to get that message. I mean, it doesn't matter where you are on the food chain. You know, we all have our dreams. Someday we'll find it, the Rainbow Connection. The lovers, the dreamers, and me. I think in many ways it's the essence of Kermit, which is some sweet part of Jim Hansen's soul that led us through this song. It just feels like buying a ticket to the power of your imagination and your willingness to go along on the ride and see what wonderful things happen. The Rainbow Connection had this yearning about it, trying to reach for something, maybe more than we were capable of doing until we realized we could do it. Rainbow Connection is the one song that really speaks to that feeling of yearning, you know, to follow your dream, to make a difference in the world, and to never give up, no matter what. It's kind of our anthem. Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection, the lovers, the dreamers, and me. I think that when I listen to my father's Kermit, I'm hearing my father. Because to me, my father's Kermit is my father. Jim Henson and I, uh, you know, we had a lot in common. Yeah, he, he was the best friend that a frog ever had. He, he was always there to lend a helping hand and, and give me a lift. Kermit the Frog was one of the earliest puppets that my father built out of his mother's green spring coat and with a ping pong ball cut in half, and it was one of his very first puppets. And so I've always identified Kermit very closely with my father. 
It's not easy being green. It seems you blend in with so many other ordinary things. Jim did many characters, and he was amazing. He was brilliant. But Kermit was the original one, and it just fit him. He was in charge of these people who, around him, all these characters, were kind of crazy and trying to wrangle everybody together to do a show. That was Kermit, and the same thing with Jim. When you work with the Muppets, it's like being in a three-ring circus uh, inside a tornado um, on top of a tightrope. And so uh, it's kind of my job just to kind of manage that. Before we begin, I'd like to thank everyone who contributed to this film, starting with the little people from the hairdressers to special effects. That's enough of that, Harry. I remember seeing it in the theater. I remember sitting and seeing the opening segment where you sort of have the camera come down through the clouds and then you come down through the trees and you very slowly move in on something you can see off in the distance, which turns out to be Kermit sitting on a log playing his banjo as he's singing Rainbow Connection. And it's really one of the first of many how did they do that moments in the Muppet movie. I was actually there on set when they filmed my father singing Rainbow Connection. Jim actually built on a back lot a real swamp with real water and real trees he had shipped in, I believe, from Georgia. And they had Kermit sitting on the log out in the middle of the water. It was wet, lots of mosquitoes. Uh, In other words, it was perfect frog weather. When you see Kermit singing on the log, singing Rainbow Connection, and thinking, my goodness, the only way Jim Henson could possibly be doing that is if he was underwater. Well, he really was. So they made a a large oil drum. Essentially a great big can that he lowered himself into. There was oxygen flowing into it. He's got a monitor in his lap. It's pitch dark except for the light coming off of the monitor. And the monitor is a really important part of Muppet performing because you see on that monitor exactly what the camera's seeing. And so when that was all set, they sealed the can completely. There's a rubber glove in the top of the tank that he sticks his hand up through, and they put Kermit onto his arm. And he had to wear a wetsuit, and he was down there for hours and hours. And um, I don't know how he did it. It must have been incredibly claustrophobic. But my sister Lisa and I watched that scene, and we were a little worried for him, but it all worked out well. We were in devilish situations, all of us, and sometimes very dangerous, but the important thing is the shot. It was really grueling physical work. Frank Oz often has a saying about Muppet performing, saying, if you're comfortable, you're probably doing it wrong. Jim Henson was definitely doing it right because there is no way that could have been comfortable. And, you know, it wasn't a lot of fun for the film crew, but my relatives enjoyed every minute of it. Why are there so many songs about rainbows? That's part of what rainbows do. There's such a joyful celebration at the end of the Muppet movie where they reprise a rainbow connection and that it's not Kermit alone, it's Kermit with hundreds and hundreds of his friends. I think it was 200, 250 puppeteers. I was a puppeteer in that as well as my brothers and sisters. I think they got every puppeteer on the West Coast to show up to do that scene. Someday you'll find it Jim always, always wanted big finishes. You've got the sets falling down and everything's kind of going wrong. All of a sudden, 
the ceiling is broken open and a rainbow comes down through the ceiling. To see that rainbow bursting through the exploded ceiling of the studio, and it's like, okay, everything fell apart, everything's gone wrong, and yet, here we are, the rainbow is here. Life's like a movie, write your own ending, keep believing, keep pretending, we've done just what we've set out to do, thanks to the lovers, the dreamers, and you. It resonated because it was all these characters that made the rainbow connection. My dad was often appealing to, he would say, the child in all of us, the sense of wonder, the sense of play, the desire to laugh, the desire to make a connection. And Jim never once said, I want you to write down to children. It's almost a matter of writing up to children, I think, sometimes, certainly on the emotional scale. Because you're never too old or too young to have a dream and to want to follow that dream and find your very own rainbow connection. Why are there so many songs about rainbows? I mean, there are so many wonderful versions that I have heard through the years. One of my favorite versions of Rainbow Connection is done by Willie Nelson. Why are there so many songs about rainbows? What's on the other side? Another version is Debbie Harry singing together with Kermit. Rainbows are visions, but only illusions. Rainbows have nothing to hide. Famous singers do the song, and I've heard, you know, school teachers perform the song. You can tell how much Rainbow Connection means to them when they're singing it. That's a heart payment for a songwriter. There's nothing that touches me more than finding out that something that I had a part of wound up having a meaningful place in that person's life. I think it's a song of hope, and it's a song of yearning, and that's what human beings are and do, you know? I hope that a 100 years from now, in some weird body implant sort of a device that you get when you're born. You know, somebody can still click on or think of Rainbow Connection and it will play and all the combinations that will exist in the world of parents and family will turn to each other and go, let's watch the Muppet movie again. That would be a real gift. It's all a gift at this point. The opportunity to write the song was one of the greatest lucky breaks in my life. I love singing the song. I'll, I'll sing it every chance I get. You know, I'll continue to sing it for as long as my uh, little fingers can play it on the banjo. Someday we'll find it, the rainbow connection, the lovers, the dreamers, and me. Rainbow Connection by Kermit the Frog was entered into the National Recording Registry in 2021. Telling us the story of the song were Kermit himself, Paul Williams, Frank Oz, Cheryl Henson, and Brian J. Jones. 
The Sounds of America is produced by Jenny Cataldo for Company Studios. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk more soon. This is 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com switch. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little bricks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts.